has the chance to win the game. The siren's going to sound. Siren's gone. Going to the siren for Bailey to kick the winning goal. They're five points down. Every boy dreams of this. Yeah, look, I'm not going to make you sit through that and listen to it again. It was bad enough watching it the first time live, wasn't it? But what a crazy finish to Thursday night's game. Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Footy Piecast. There's not really too much you can say, really. It's uh, as disappointing as it was. I found it quite ironic and almost hysterical that the fact uh, Zach Bailey should have won the game for the Lions last week against Geelong and well, the week before, sorry, and then of course he gets the opportunity to do so against us. And unfortunately, we're on the wrong side of it. So it's pretty crazy how the footy gods work, but. There's not really much you can say about it, but I will try and dissect the other 120 minutes of footy that we did see against the Lions on Thursday night, rather than just that last 30 seconds of play, which obviously culminated in the one-point loss. But we'll have a look through that game, and we'll have a look ahead to Saturday night's game against GWS. Let's get into it. Be interesting, and they're going to be fatigued if they're not already. Side bottom, quickly back inside 50. Leicester's got it all to do. Knock away by Brown, picked up by Dacos. Right foot snap around the body. He's got it. Dacos has got it. So an 11-7-73 to 11-6-72 defeat at the hands of the Lions on Thursday night, of course, after holding a 25-point lead in the second quarter. The first half was actually really good, or the majority of the first half, at least the first quarter and a half. I found... The game somewhat strange in the aspect that I thought we really dominated the second quarter and yet the Lions actually ended up winning the second quarter and then I thought the Lions really dominated the third quarter and we actually won the third quarter so in fact I think it was equal I think it was two goals to a piece now that I'm looking at it but I thought the Lions were well on top in the third quarter I thought we were well on top in the second quarter and yet things didn't really go that way on the scoreboard but I think the biggest thing to come out of the game from a Collingwood perspective or one of the major talking points was really the performance of Brodie Grundy which was absolutely dominant but it was in the end in a loss now his stat line is something you'll rarely see uh, in a game of football he had 28 disposals 5 marks 6 tackles and 54 hitouts now the total hit-out numbers for either team, uh, a disparity that you will never see in a game of AFL football. Again, I don't think. 63 hit-outs to four. 63 to four. And I think a lot of people say after the game, well, how can you lose a game of football when your Ruckman completely dominates like that? And I don't want to sit on the fence, but I think I do agree with a couple of different ways of looking at it. There's some people that think, well, how can you possibly lose that game? Your Ruckman has 54 hitouts. You win the hitout total 63 to 4. Your Ruckman also has 28 disposals. Well, we are in a game of AFL football where there are 22 players on each team. There are 36 players on the field at one time. It is completely reasonable for one man to dominate and his team to still lose. We see that every week. Now, it's not necessarily the Ruckman that, uh, that has that, but we can see you know Darcy Moore dominated in round one yet we lost by 16 points. Like It is possible for that to happen. We're not playing a game of basketball or something when there's only five players on each team on the floor at one time, and that means that each specific player can probably impact the game more than, as I said, in a game of football where there are 18 players for each team on the field at one time. So people have got to understand, I think, that yes, players can have huge games and their teams still lose, but I also agree and understand with the fact that 
that Collingwood have still got to improve upon and get better with translating Grundy's dominance, particularly in the ruck hitouts, to clearances. And if you look at the clearances for either team, I think we won the clearances 35 to 30. So, I mean, at least we won the clearances. But center clearances 13 to 11. Like, we won the clearances, but I don't think it's enough of a domination in the midfield there that it should have been given Grundy's giving silver service to the midfielders. So it's clearly an area of the game that has got to be improved upon if this team's going to get back to anywhere near kind of 2018 form. Uh, breaking news, actually, I did see on Twitter before that uh, the Pies have got Mark Jamar in as well. They called him a tools coach, I think, is what the the wording was. But he is going to be, obviously, Mark Jamar, former Melbourne Ruckman. Of course, he's going to be in there, I think, to try and help Grundy. I'm not necessarily saying Grundy's ruck work is poor because he obviously gets his hand to the ball first time, uh, the majority of the time. But, and and in saying that, I also do see some beautiful taps to advantage from Brody Grundy. So I'm not saying his ruck work needs too much actually work on. It's just the connection between him and the midfielders uh, and, and being able to get those clearances going our way. Just the, the domination that he's getting doesn't translate to, to domination in the midfield, which it, it should at the end of the day. So that's going to be interesting moving forward. The other thing, I guess, to come from that was Brody Grundy's on a $7 million seven-year contract, $1 million a season, and he had the most dominant game a Ruckman could possibly have, yet it was obviously in a loss. And the question marks really surround whether or not a Ruckman deserves to be paid $1 million a season. And I guess the clear fact or the clear argument that you can go against that is if you have a look at uh, the former Premiership winners and the Premiership Ruckman in uh, in recent Premiership sides, you've got the likes of Toby Nankervis, uh, Ivan Soldo, and whatnot in the Richmond uh, three Premierships there. You've got uh, obviously the disappointing one in 2018 against the Eagles with Scott Lysette and Nathan Vardy. Uh, the Dogs with Tom Boyd in 2016, Ben McAvoy in the Hawthorne years, even go back to Sydney 2012 with um, Pike and Mumford. So they're clearly not big names there, are they? They're clearly serviceable, solid ruckmen that aren't out and out guns that are necessarily changing the course of a game. And it's interesting, we're playing GWS this week, and we remember that 2019 preliminary final against GWS where, similar to last week, Grundy had an absolute domination in terms of I think he had even more hitouts that day. Might have been something close to 70 or something like that against Shane Mumford. And yet we walked away with a loss despite coming back heavily in that last quarter. So it's it's a really interesting argument on whether or not Ruckman are actually worth that much money. At the end of the day, the proof will be in the pudding if Colin will win a premiership in the next seven years with Brady Grundy as number one ruck and with him putting in a dominant performance during finals and, and in a grand final, then sure, of course, that's going to be the money's going to be worth it. Uh, if they don't, then who knows? It's it's going to be hard to decipher it simply on whether we win a premiership or not. Uh, it'll obviously be on Grundy's form, uh, which in the last two weeks has been a real step in the right direction, which it should have been given the the quality of ruck he was coming up with, uh, who was it, Ballenden and Fullerton on the weekend. So he needed to dominate. He did, but unfortunately it didn't translate into that victory. Uh, I thought in the first yeah quarter and a half, I mean, we kicked seven goals in the first half, but we only kicked four in the, in the second half. I thought the ball movement was pretty good early on. We continued that 
form against Carlton in terms of lowering the light, lowering the eyes, hitting some lead-up targets. I thought that was actually quite good. But as the game went on, I think we reverted back to a little bit more slower ball movement and really not honouring short chip-up leads and actually just bombing it into to Mason Cox and Brody Majek, which I thought those two guys, I thought Majek was not great early, but I thought he was okay at the end of the day. He kicked his two goals, he had his six marks. That's all you can ask for, really. Coxie kicked his two goals, had four marks. Like Those guys have been pretty good uh, in the opening three rounds of the season, which is not surprising because we are seeing a more open brand of footy where these kind of key forwards, we've seen what Taylor Walker's doing at Adelaide, these key forwards are really coming into it a little bit more. But I thought we struggled late in the piece to really honour those short leads. There was one uh, late on, I can't remember who the kicker was, but Geordie Dugowie was leading up, uh, didn't didn't hit that target, didn't even look for that target, kicked it over the head towards Mason Cox, ball rebounded, and eventually ended up in the Zach Bailey goal. But if you're going to do that, and if you're going to kick long to these tall targets then you've got to have someone at ground level. And I thought constantly on on uh, Thursday night, we didn't have anyone to actually crumb at the, the bottom of those packs. And when when you don't have that, then clearly the opposition are getting to get the ball. And if you're gonna if you're gonna do that and, and get to that level, then you really need to have some forward half pressure. And I thought, especially in the second half, the amount of times Brisbane were just able to walk the ball out of defensive fifty with relatively no pressure on was really disappointing. In saying that, I think it's just the cattle that are there at the moment. If you look at our forward line, yes, there should have been more pressure on in Thursday night's game, but it's not a team suited to that kind of game style which it, it really should be. If you look back at the 2018 year, I thought the pressure forward half pressure was really good. And you look at this team now and, and looking at Thursday night's game, it, it's just the ability for Brisbane to walk the ball out under no pressure was just really disappointing. And yeah, it's a team not built for that. If you look at the, the forward line, it's really a marking forward line. And if the ball hits the deck, we're in a little bit of trouble. If you look at the smalls that are there, I guess, to, to crumb and to, uh, to put on forward pressure... I mean, Dacos is probably the major one. I'm not sure how much actual defensive pressure he's putting on, but clearly he's really classy around goals. Clearly he's got the footy IQ and ability, similar to his dad, to just do some magical stuff in the forward line. Once the ball hits the ground, we saw a couple of really great goals from him on Thursday night. I still believe he should be up in the midfield more. He's still, I think I mentioned it last week, He's still, for me, he's right behind Pendles in terms of those top two guys in the team that I want the ball in their hands as much as possible. And I'm just not happy with him going from a wing last year. And I know Jamie's out and I know you know there's things going on there, but to me, he's still a wingman um, and he shouldn't be pushing back in the forward line. He had 15 disposals, two goals, two. He played a good game, but I would like to see him, even if he only kicks one goal, I'd rather him have 20 and one because those five extra possessions, I know he's going to do good things with ball in hand most of the time. So he's the one there. Callum Brown, the other father-son, I guess, is the other one. Callum's just not doing enough in either aspect of the game, whether it be putting on defensive pressure or putting on uh, or, or doing anything offensively. I think, you know, if you look at his game, uh, he was just not, not impactful whatsoever. He, uh, he had his 12 disposals, only kicked the one behind. Uh, I think he had six tackles, but a lot of his tackles, I feel, like get broken somewhat easily, um, or at least a, a handball is able to be getting out. They're not really solid, you know, bone-crunching tackles as such. 
So that's that's an issue for me is the fact that we just don't have the, the players in the forward half to be able to crumb off packs, to be able to put on forward pressure. And I think if I look at other teams, there's a couple of guys around the league that I would absolutely love to have in that forward line for the Collingwood Footy Club. A couple of young Indigenous players, Liam Ryan. I had a mate who I work with that goes to West Coast. I said, geez, apart from, say, Pendles, Darcy Moore, Grundy, I'd almost give up anyone to get Liam Ryan. That's how desperately I think we need someone of his calibre who can do things at ground level, can put on a little bit of forward pressure, but can also mark the ball and has a few tricks to his game. Uh, we know how good Isaiah Pickett has been at uh, at Melbourne so far this season. He's been absolutely outstanding. He's a, he's the kind of guy that we need in there. So whether there's a guy on the list that can actually come in and, and do that, I know um, Bo McCreary was the sub, the medical sub on Thursday night. Whether there's someone that can come in there and actually do that, or more if it's just those in the team currently need to to be better at applying some forward pressure and also getting to the feet of uh, of Coxie and Myacek because you can't have a situation like we did on Thursday night in the second half where you don't accept the lead-up targets. You go to those guys and then you have nothing at ground level because I thought once you get into that mode, uh, the Collingwood forward line just doesn't look potent enough at all to be able to kick goals and win games of footy at the end of the day. So I thought the defense held up pretty well. Again, as I said, that third quarter, I thought Brisbane were well on top and we, we managed to actually sneak out and retain a lead out of that third quarter. I thought Darcy, the Darcy Moore, uh, the Darcy Moore Joe Danaher battle was was really good and enticing to watch. I thought both played reasonably well. I would have given the points to Danaher at the end of the day. He kicked his three, should have kicked that fourth in the fourth quarter. It staggers me as to how key forward can not be comfortable kicking drop punts for goal and whenever he gets the ball on the right side for a left footer, he's always looking to snap, but it is what it is. It's modern day footy, isn't it, at the end of the day? But I thought three goals, three or whatever he kicked, I thought Joe Danaher was really good, so I'd probably give the points there. But outside of that matchup, I thought our defence was really good. It's probably the best game I've seen Jordan Ruffhead play for a while. His ability to intercept Mark was absolutely outstanding. He had his uh, he had his 17 marks in the game, so I thought that was fantastic. 20 disposals. Jeremy Howe, 22 disposals. Uh, as well, I thought it was absolutely fantastic, but uh, unfortunately, didn't quite get the win there. And uh, we'll look forward now to the GWS game on Saturday night and go through a few team selections and uh, what we should see on Saturday night. To Goey, Pendlebury sneaky handball to Howe, gained an extra 15, and now the thumping long ball. It'll go all the way. It'll go all the way. Saturday night uh, against the Giants. I don't want to make too much of a huge statement here, but. If you're looking to finish in the top eight, if you're looking to, who knows, by the end of the season, get yourself into top four contention, this is simply a must-win game. I know it's only round four, but that's a situation we stand at with a team that's zero and three, that's got injury issues, that are going to be coming off a six-day break. You're at the MCG. There's just no excuses here. And the Giants are a team that I've been fascinated by in the last 18 months or so. Since that uh, horrendous 2019 grand final loss, they obviously had a great run to get there, but... Since then, they were really disappointing last season. They finished 10th, and watching the uh, the documentary Making Their Mark, a really fascinating focus into Stephen Cornelio, Leon Cameron, and the rest of that Giants group. And uh, I held ho- out hope, I guess, for a lot of last season that uh, their talent would eventually come to the fore and they'd rediscover 
that kind of form that got them to the 2019 grand final. It's never came. And uh, if you held out any hope or faith in them to return to those kind of ways this season, then uh, you'd be bitterly disappointed thus far. Zero and three. They were somewhat competitive. I watched that full game against Melbourne on Sunday night. They were competitive in the first half, uh, that's for sure. They started off really well, but uh, injuries got to them and they fell away late in that game to what was a pretty comprehensive loss in the end. They were really disappointing the week before against Fremantle over there. Uh, another 30-odd point loss. And, and round one against the Saints, that was a game uh, at home where the Saints were, were down on key players. I think they had something like seven or eight of their key players out. We've seen what the Saints have done in the last couple of weeks. has been really poor. I thought to lose that game was a really disappointing performance from the Giants as well. So in all three games, they've been thoroughly, thoroughly disappointing and, and really poor. So there's no excuses going into this game. As I said, six-day break for the Giants compared to what, what are we going to have? Nine, a nine-day break. We're at the MCG. There's just there's no excuses to lose this game. I think we're a dollar twenty-three favorite. It's I don't know. It's can we chalk it up as a win? Probably not because I feel like there's there's times where this this club can kind of disappoint us in situations where we expect certain things to happen. And I think especially against GWS when we look back to that 2019 preliminary final game again at the MCG on a Saturday, which. Uh, we should have won. Uh, well, we went into the game pretty heavy favourites and, of course, came away with a, a narrow loss, which was so unfortunate. But if you look at this team now, 0-3, as I said, big injury trouble. So last week alone, they had Stephen Canelio, their skipper. He's got a syndesmosis injury. He'll miss 8-10 to 10 weeks. Phil Davis, uh, Matt DeBoer. Now, they're two players that aren't necessarily big-name players, but they can certainly do a role in the, you know, from you know Phil Davis's point of view, he's been a very good key defender for a long time. Matt DeBoer, one of the premium taggers in the competition that can certainly go and do it, could have gone and done a job on a Pendles or a Taylor Adams, that kind of thing. So they're big losses. There's still no Lockie Whitfield for them. I'm not sure what the status is on Jake Riccardi, who I thought was one of the bright lights for them late last season. So they're really down and out and in big trouble at the moment. Uh, but more from our point of view, Team selection is going to be the most interesting thing. And I, I, I read a, a great article from Jake Nile yesterday, I think it was, regarding the youngsters and comparing that to you know that of the Swans and other teams out there who have brought in younger players and, and been really exciting and actually playing not just you know exciting brands of footy, but actually winning games of footy. And ultimately, that's what you've got to do at the end of the day. And I don't know, I, I fear that Collingwood are in this kind of pattern where they're a middle-of-the-road team. Are we a genuine premiership contender? Certainly not at this stage. Are we a bottom-four contender? I don't think so. I think we're good enough to, to finish anywhere between you know 6 and 12, that kind of mark. But if we really want to push back into premiership contention, then we've really got to start blooding a couple of these guys. And yes, they're not necessarily going to be fully ready, but how much are they actually going to give up in terms of if they're replacing some of these uh, couple of guys that are in trouble? Will Hoskin Elliott's clearly one. The focus has been on him this week. Callum Brown, I know he's got age on his side, but he's been uh, not providing too much output in uh, in the opening rounds of this season. So how much are those young guys actually going to give up on, on the output of what uh, Will Hoskin Elliott and Callum Brown are going to give up? And even if they're at their worst, those youngsters at their worst, I'm not sure that they're actually going to be too much of a negative impact compared to those guys 
uh, in Hoskin Elliott and Callum Brown I just mentioned. And of course, the upside with some of these youngsters could be really, really big. And we don't know what they're going to provide at senior level yet. But who knows? We've seen with these Sydney guys, Braden Campbell, Logan McDonald, Errol Goulden. I mean, Errol Goulden was pick 32 in the draft. Now, yes, a lot of people believed he slid down to that mark when he really shouldn't have. But he's been absolutely outstanding for them. So the Pies took five selections in the top 31 last season, six in the top 44 and we've only seen Bo McCreary as the medical sub, and we saw Ollie Henry for one game in round one. Now, I was slightly disappointed. I could understand why Ollie Henry went out, but I was still slightly disappointed given that style of game against the Dogs in round one. Gave him basically no opportunity to succeed. Now, when he went near the ball, he didn't really show a whole lot, but in saying that, he didn't go near the ball a whole lot because he just didn't have the opportunity to playing a half-forward role uh, where the ball just didn't really get into our attacking half of the ground too much in that game against the Dogs. I spoke about it uh, on multiple occasions now uh, in this episode and also in last week's episode. So, uh, yeah, if you look at the other ones, the, the big one I think that will play this week in debut is Finlay McRae. If he's anything like his brother, you know, he's going to be just a really natural footballer, a guy that can win plenty of the footy and show some class uh, in and outside of the contest. I think he's a player that we're probably going to see this week. I understand the likes of, you know, Liam McMahon, Caleb Poulter are more long-term projects that we might not see this season. But I think there's a couple of guys there, McRae and Henry in particular, that we could see. And McCreary is obviously very close given he was the medical sub and technically debuted uh, last week. But I think from a, a fan's point of view, if you're not going to be in premiership contention, then you want to see something that you believe will lift your team to premiership contention. And at the moment, you're seeing that with Sydney. Now, do I think Sydney are 3-0. They've had fantastic wins against Brisbane and then uh, Richmond at the G on the weekend. Do I think Sydney are in premiership contention? Maybe not, but we'll see where we get to at the end of the season. But I still don't believe they're in premiership contention. But you can see a clear formula there at how they're going to get themselves back into premiership contention by the next few seasons. And these young guys are having a major, major impact. And they're bringing Sydney into a really exciting brand of footy where people are starting to talk about the Sydney Swans. I think they're the most high-scoring team in the league. And who would have said that? Who would have said that about the Swans? So I think from a colonial point of view, we're being competitive in every game. As I've always said, the defense is going to hold up and allow us to be competitive in every game. But I just want to see some some further offensive talent out there, I guess, in terms of some real excitement forward of the ball that can make things happen. It's one of the reasons why I want to see Josh Dacos more in the midfield to then be able to start those kind of exciting chains and good ball movement forward. But I think the likes of Ollie Henry, Finlay McRae, I think they're the kind of young talent that as fans we want to be able to see to see the next step of the Collingwood Football Club and where the future will, will lead us to in the next five or six years. And particularly given the off-season that we did have trading away uh, Trelaw, Stevenson and Tom Phillips. And when you do that, I think the silver lining from that whole trade period was the fact that, hey, look, we brought in five guys within the top 31 in the draft, six in the top 44, and a couple of guys that really on draft night uh, slid down to our picks. We managed to get two before Reef McGuinness. There was 
uh, talk that we were going to have to use if we were going to get Reef McGuinness. We would have had to use our first pick. We ended up getting two picks in front of him to get Ollie Henry, to get Finlay McRae, who were both projected to be in the top 15. So for me, if you're going to trade away the, the kind of senior players we did, you want to see some, some benefit from that. And we saw it in the trade period, but we haven't seen it on field yet. And I think if, if Collingwood fans start seeing these guys, if Ollie Henry comes back in, if Finlay McRae comes in and actually provides some positive output, then that's going to really turn around the outlook on this footy club after the trade period last season. So I'd fully expect Finlay McRae, who, who played very well in the VFL practice match last week. That's the other thing as well. At least these guys are playing. I think Reef McGuinness has still got his finger injury, but apart from that, I think all the other guys actually played in that VFL practice match. So I'd fully expect Finlay McRae to play I'd be tempted to play Ollie Henry, but in saying that, I understand that you might not necessarily want to go with two with a debutant and then another guy who's playing his second game. I could see McCreary coming in though, so I don't know. I think two of those three. I just like two of those three to play. I just I would. I don't think their output is going to be much less than what Will Hoskin Elliott's giving us at the moment what Callum Brown's giving us at the moment. I just don't think their output's going to be much lower than that to where it's an absolute negative. And of course, their potential output positively is going to be much higher than what those two guys are going to give us at the moment. So I would like to see probably McCreary and McRae come in for Hoskin Elliott and Brown. That would be probably my moves. Darcy Cameron played really well uh, in the in the uh, VFL last week. He's a guy that could certainly play, but I'm still not sure. I, I spoke about in the dissection of the uh, of the Brisbane game that the forward pressure was completely lacking and we need to improve in that area. And I'm not sure you're going to get improvement in that area if you bring another 200-centimetre guy in there alongside Mason Cox and alongside Brody Myrchek and obviously with Grundy in the ruck. So I don't think they can possibly do that. And... As good as Cameron's been in the VFL, I've been more than happy with the way Mason Cox and Brody Mychek have played in the opening three rounds. I think they've been uh, they've been pretty good. They're averaging their two goals a game. I said to uh, my father-in-law the other day, I said, he's a big Hawthorne supporter, I said, are you getting your head around the fact that uh, Mason Cox is going to kick 40-plus goals this season? I think he will. I think he can easily average his two goals a game. He probably should have kicked three. One of the things that really frustrated me with uh, sorry, just going back to last Thursday night's game, but one of the things that really frustrated me that I don't want to see moving forward is Mason's this guy who is well, he's American, yes, but he's got those Americanisms, I guess, where he's got the swagger, and a lot of people he's probably one of the more hated players around the competition because of the swagger that he brings, and you know a lot of people question whether that swagger actually translates to his performances. But uh, when he's playing well, he likes to let uh, the opposition know about it. He likes to let uh, opposition fans know about it, that's for sure. Now, if you're going to be like that, and I love it. I personally love it. I'm a big fan of American sports, so I, I love those kind of things. That's fantastic. Uh, but if you're going to do that, then you've also got to be pretty adamant towards your own teammates. And there was a play in the last quarter there where Harris Andrews got tackled firstly by Callum Brown, and then Coxie came in and tackled him uh, from behind. And he was caught holding the ball. And to me, it was probably because Coxie initiated the second tackle that really uh, was the major tackle of the two, I think. 
I thought that it probably should have been his free kick. And I don't think the umpire actually chose either way whether it was Coxie or Callum Brown's kick. Now, if the umpire pointed to Callum Brown and said, your kick, then that's fine. But I actually think I saw Coxie like, just let Callum Brown take it without the umpire even entering into it kind of thing. So I was disappointed there because if I'm Mason Cox, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm the key forward here. I'm the man that kicks the goals. Give me the damn ball. Give me the damn ball. And sorry, Callum Brown, nice work, cool, but let me take it. And especially given Mason Cox has got himself, credit to him, into a position where he is the best kick in the team within 40 metres of goal in terms of a set shot. I, I just think he is. If there's one player in the team I want within 40 metres set shot, it's probably him. So I just knew that when Callum Brown went to take that, I was just like, he's going to miss this. He's going to miss this because Coxie should be taking this kick. Of course, he missed it. Now, did it cost us the match? Probably not because the resulting kick out turned around into a great Josh Dacos goal that you heard before. But it's just those kind of small things that I think... The, the key forwards, the better kicks in the team really need to stand up and say, hey, that's my ball. Give it to me. I'm finishing the job here. So that's just going off topic a little bit from what we see this week. But I don't want to see those kind of things moving forward because, yes, it's only something small, but th- those kind of things, I said it during the time on Thursday night, they're the kind of things that can actually cost you a game of footy in such a close contest. So I was disappointed with that. Um, but getting back onto it, yeah, I think... Uh, Mason's been pretty good. Uh, Brody Marchek's been pretty good. So I can't see Darcy Cameron coming in. Uh, but as I said, I would like to see a couple of those debutants uh, or potential. I know McCreary technically debuted last week, but I'd like to see him probably in the 22, along with Finlay McRae debuting. I think they're probably the likely two for most likely Hoskin Elliott and Callum Brown. Look, Callum Brown, he's got age on his side, but he's 50 games in now, and I'm not sure what he really provides to the team, he's, he's short, and if you're short, you've either got to be incredibly quick, which he's quick, but he's not incredibly quick, and you've also got to have good foot skills. You've got to be you know really skillful on both sides of your body, and he just doesn't do that. His lack of penetration in his kicking, I think, is a real problem for a guy that's less than 180 centimeters tall. I think that's just a fact. If you look at the guys around that height, Caleb Daniel. Caleb Daniel's the shortest player in the league. He's not incredibly quick, but he's quick enough, but he's probably the most skillful player on both sides of his body in the league. Uh, you could probably name a handful that might be at his level. But he's an extremely, when he's got the ball in hand for the dogs, he's an extremely skillful player on both sides of his body. And there's a reason they try and get the ball in his hands. Now you look at Callum Brown, who's kind of the similar, similar kind of stature, similar speed, I guess. He just doesn't have the skill. He doesn't have the skill. And right now, he's not providing enough defensively either for that to be worth it. So he can go back to the VFL, hopefully regain some form and and show the coaching staff that there's another element to his game there. Will Hoskin-Elliott, I can see why they've persisted with him for for so long. And I had this chat on Big Footy with uh, the forum the other day, was that he's got AFL-level attributes. He's rangy. He's pretty athletic. He's can be a very good mark. He can have very good skills uh, in terms of his, his kicking. I know uh, early in that first quarter, he set up a nice goal over the top for still side bottom, I think. Uh, but unfortunately, you've actually got to get the ball first to be able to show off those kind of things. And he's not getting near it. And there was a play in the last quarter there where he dropped a simple mark with no one around him, just an easy chip-up lead that he just put down, which really summed up where his confidence levels are at. So to me, 
he goes out, um, he can come back. I think if he regains some form, I still have hopes that he can get back somewhere near that 2018 form. And a lot of the time, it's got to do with actually our ball movement, our ball, uh, sorry, our ball movement, and uh, the way the ball actually goes in there. And I think our game style hasn't really suited him at all. But uh, I think he's still got a future with the team. But uh, I think he certainly needs a spell, an overdue spell in the twos to try and regain some form. Just in terms of the game, though, I really think we need to capitalise. I think it should be, this is a game I look at, and it should be a big win. I shouldn't be sitting here at three-quarter time on Saturday night worried about the result of this game and whether we're going to win or not. I hope at that stage that the game's well and truly over. I just worry about the fact that our offence hasn't shown a propensity to absolutely dominate games and <laughs> we see around the league there are a lot of blowouts going on uh you know 128 point loss to north last week the saints got absolutely belted by Essendon, so we've seen some big losses i'm just not sure we're going to see any big margin games in any collingwood games because i think i said last week the defense is good enough to keep us competitive in every game so we're not going to get blown out but we're also not going to dominate teams because I just don't think our forward line or our ball movement, our ball movement offensively, is good enough to uh, to get those big wins as well. But this is probably an opportunity to do it against a side that uh, is really under the pump in terms of form and injuries. But other than that, guys, thank you for listening to the second episode of the Big Footy Podcast. Uh, let's hope for a win on Saturday night and potentially a couple of debutants to get excited about. Thanks, guys.